1196 in your Black Pew Bibles. Romans 2, 25, 29, page 1196 in the Pew Bibles. Lord, we'll be honored if we stand for the reading of his word. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as uncircumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, but the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I have uh, two things before I uh, open up the word. And the first is, um, I think the uh, Lord has told me not to visit my grandchildren. (laughs) Because every time I go visit my grandchildren, I end up with some kind of a cold. And we were with them this past week, uh, and I came back with another cold. Uh, that's three times in a row, right? Three times, that's three strikes and you're out, right? So I guess I don't visit my grandkids anymore. No. Um, the other thing is, uh, many of you know I was scheduled for a hernia surgery on Wednesday. Um, that has fallen through because of uh, insurance glitches. Uh, so, well, I had, you know, a couple of our brothers are going to be preaching the next couple weeks. They're going to have to have me sitting in the audience uh, critiquing them while, <laughs> while, we, uh, while they preach uh, there. So I'm going to have to reschedule that surgery uh, once I can figure out the, the insurance thing. So I pray for that. All right. Well, uh, we have, uh, this is the, the, the final uh, message on chapter 2. <clears throat> So that means that you have all that are participating in the mentoring program, you all know verses 1 to 4, right? Good, good. So we're going to say it together uh, as a church. Okay, are you ready? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Yes! Great job, guys. Wonderful. All right. Well, that was the easy part. We had three verses uh, in this next month. All right. So begin working uh, and adding those to the first four. You know, these verses, though, are, are not being memorized and entering into our cranium just as brain food just to make us smarter. 
they need to become soul food. They need to get down into our heart, that spiritual food that, that feeds us so that we can grow strong and powerful in the truth of God and His Word. The purpose of Scripture memory, there are many, many purposes that God has told us in His Word are reasons for us to memorize Scripture. We, we see Jesus in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, tempted by the devil. And what is He doing to fight the devil? He's using the Word of God. He is using it as a sharp, double-edged sword by which he could slay that roaring lion who is seeking whom he might devour. <clears throat> the psalmist put it this way, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus understood that truth, and that's why he was able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We memorize scripture to help us in times of temptation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote that the understanding of Scripture helps us to avoid the failures of the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. They were given to us as examples so that we don't do the same thing. So as the Word of God is in us, it, it protects us from the enemy attacks and from the temptations and sin. But it also, the Scriptures are loaded with promises. Promises of God that are, that are to be hidden in our hearts so that they give us hope in the midst of difficult situations. Meditating on the promises of God lets us see the silver lining around those dark clouds of storms that hit our lives on a regular basis. Through the promises of God, the Christian can make it through persecution, tribulation, trials, and they can do so with perseverance for the hope that is set before us. But Bible memory done simply to impress others, or to know that you have to do it because it's part of our mentoring program, and so you do it for that reason and that reason alone, that's as worthless as memorizing a song in a language that you don't know. Yeah, do you remember, those of you who have kept up with our uh, devotionals, Remember that day that the uh, activity started by saying, read this in Greek? Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, even if you could phonetically figure out how to pronounce those words, you wouldn't have the meaning of them. And so it would be an exercise in futility because it would have no purpose. It would not change you. It would not work anything in your heart. God has given us many reasons and means for growing spiritually. The means by which we are to develop our spiritual life. And we're going to talk about some of those this morning. But if we go through those means that God has given to us for our spiritual development, and we do those things without caring about why we're doing them, we're doing them simply because we're expected to do them, then that has no uh, purpose in the long run for our heart. 
It'd be as beneficial as having a, a bowl of plastic fruit sitting on your table, and you say, well, now I've got my fruits and vegetables, right? Those plastic fruits aren't going to provide the nourishment that you need to do things just simply because they need to be done, but not with understanding, ends up being empty. And that's what Paul is talking about in this text today. He is making it clear that going through the motions, whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Christian, provides no spiritual benefit for you. God has supplied us with meaningful sacraments or ordinances, some would call them, with spiritual helps for us, the means of development and growth, but they do no good unless they are done out of faith in what God is going to do through them. And so our theme this morning says that God has given to the church the powerful working of his sacraments for the benefit of the people of God. Powerful. The sacraments for the, for the, the church, those sacraments are the Lord's Supper and baptism. And those are powerful things, but they're not meant to be a magic potion. You know, if I do this somehow, that gets me blessings in God's sight. So let's take a look at this passage and see what Paul has to say to the Jews and through them what he has to say to us as Christians. I've often heard people make excuses for why they've not been baptized. And generally, their responses all boil down to one thing, and that is, Baptism is not necessary for salvation. And you know what? If you said that to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul would say, Amen. Amen. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. But he would disagree with you not being baptized. Notice the blessings of ordinances that Paul addresses here in this text. He says in verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value. Underline that. It is of value if you obey the law. In other words, Paul recognized that the sacraments, and some people call them ordinances, that those have great value for us. That was true of circumcision for the Jews. It is true of baptism for the believer. So notice that God gave us this sacrament. He gave it to us as a sign. A sign. Whether the sacrament was circumcision for the Jew, or whether it's baptism for the Christian, both of them have value. Both of them are important for us. Let's think for a moment about the purpose of, of the sacrament or the ordinance. Right? Did circumcision make a person a Jew? Now, if you think about that, you'd have to say, of course not. What made them a Jew was the fact that they had Jewish parents. Okay? That's what made them a Jew. 
So why bother with circumcision if you were born into a Jewish family? What is the purpose of it? Or, for us as Christians, if baptism doesn't have anything to do with salvation, then why bother with it? But God gives us a number of reasons why circumcision was necessary for the Jews and is necessary for us as believers. The first and foremost is that it is a sign, it is a sign of our willingness to obey God. Our willingness to walk in obedience. An ordinance is a command. That's what the word ordinance means. A command, but particularly a command that God gives as a means of showing our commitment to him. Asking why God commands a certain ordinance, whether it's circumcision or baptism, is really unnecessary any more than asking why God spoke and commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, in a sense, was the first ordinance. We could debate about you know, what kind of fruit it was and, and whether there was something about the fruit itself or, or the tree or all those kinds of things. We, we can debate that theologically, but ultimately... Why were they cursed? They were not cursed because of something about the fruit. They were cursed because they disobeyed God. Because God had given them a command, and they disobeyed that command. That's what brought about the curse. God commanded the Israelites to be circumcised. They may not have understood the meaning behind circumcision, what it was all about, but he gave them that command. And he gave it to them as a sign of their willingness to obey him. Do you trust me? Then obey me. Jesus put it a little bit differently. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Paul connects that thought with his discussion in verse 25. He starts off by saying that circumcision has value. And then he says... But if you break the law, circumcision has value, but if you break the law, in other words, if you walk in disobedience, it loses that value. Circumcision has value by keeping the law, the commands of God. In the same way, baptism has value as an act of faithful obedience to the Lord. Jesus commanded that all who were his disciples were to be baptized and to be taught. Therefore, whether or not we understand any reason for baptism, understand its meaning or anything else, just simply because we know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should walk in obedience. Therefore, we should be baptized simply because the Lord said that. For in baptism, we are acting out that act of obedience as we surrender ourselves completely to him for the glory of God, fully and lovingly. But notice that God also gave the sacrament as a seal, a sign of our obedience, but also as a seal from God himself. It isn't necessary 
for us to understand the meaning of a sacrament, whether it's circumcision or whether it is baptism. It's not necessary, but it is very helpful to understand why God gave those sacraments. Having a better understanding gives the act of circumcision more meaning to us, more purpose to it. The same thing for baptism for a Christian. God intended for both circumcision and baptism to reflect the truths in the act itself, the truths of what God was doing with the Jew and what he was doing for the Christian. For the Jew, the act of circumcision had two parts to it. There was blood and bearing children. Those two things are part of the act of circumcision. The cutting of the flesh was a bloody sacrifice. It reminded the Jews from their eighth day until the end of their life that only through a bloody sacrifice could you be right in the eyes of God. That we were sinners that needed a sacrifice to pay the penalty for that sin. In the same way, circumcision was God's seal that set the Jewish race apart through the passing on of the, the seed to the next generation. And the fact that the male was circumcised pointed to the continuation of a Jewish physical line as a people of God, a people set apart for God to reveal God's glory in the midst of the world. And that's why when the Jews turned from God to idols, to ungodliness, God cut them off. He sent enemy nations against them. Those enemy nations destroyed them, took them away as slaves, and even into exile in Babylon. The way Paul puts it is given to us at the end of verse 25. He says, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Even though they were circumcised, if their hearts were not right with God, it was as if they were not circumcised. The same thing is true for baptism. It also is a seal of God on the believer, identifying the believer as one who is walking for and with Christ. It identifies us as belonging to Him and to His church. But Christians do not become Christians by a physical birth. So the purpose of baptism is different from the purpose of circumcision. The purpose of baptism is to reveal that we've died with Christ and have been raised to newness of life. And so as we go under the water, it is as if we were entering into the grave. And the coming out of the water is a revelation of the fact that we have been raised up as new people in Jesus Christ. We have been made new, born again in Him. By water, though, rather than by blood, we show the symbolic cleansing that has taken place but no longer by blood because the final sacrifice has been made. We no longer have to make regular sacrifices 
unto God because Christ is that final and that complete sacrifice. So the ordinances of God, we see, do have tremendous value. I've only pointed out a few of them, but there are many others as well. For with them, notice the blessings of obedience. The blessings of the audience are seen in the blessing of obedience. And yet, another phrase that you hear often when people are saying, well, you know, I don't need to be baptized, is, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, but Jesus promised that he would be with him in paradise. God has never required circumcision or baptism for entrance into heaven. It's never been required by God for salvation. Salvation has always been by grace, through faith, alone. It's never been by any other means. By grace, through faith, alone. But salvation is not a go directly to heaven card in a Monopoly game. Salvation is a life transformation. It is a new birth into a new creation through the transformation of a heart. A heart whose desires have been changed by that new birth. Therefore, obedience is a, is a necessary part of that new birth because it shows the change of the heart. It shows that our heart has been changed. Paul puts it this way in verse 26. He says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? I want you to notice the way that he worded that. He did not say if he keeps the law. He says, if he keeps the precepts of the law. By saying it that way, Paul is pointing not to the law itself and the keeping of the letter of the law, which he talks about later in this passage. He is talking about the purpose of the law. He is talking about what God gave us the law for. And that is so that we act by faith in trusting God in obedience. Perhaps the best biblical example of what Paul is talking about here is Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not a Jew. She wasn't born a Jew. She wasn't born of a circumcised parent. She was a Moabitess. The Moabitess was not allowed to enter into the temple, into the, the presence of God for ten generations. So she should have been excluded from the covenant. And yet when we look at Ruth, we, we recognize that here is a person who kept the covenant of God better than the Jewish family that she had married into. They had violated all of the covenant commands. She, an uncircumcised 
Gentile kept the law and therefore was blessed by God as a covenant keeper. She lived the life of the covenant faithfulness better than the Jews. So notice that God sees the sacrament as a signature, a sign, a seal, but also a signature. Why do we say sign our name on documents? We do so as a sign of our agreement to the terms of some kind of a contract. Yesterday was my daughter Danielle's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Um, all right? And for those of you who don't know, yesterday was leap day, right? All right? So Danielle was a leap year baby. And we went out to dinner to celebrate that and put the payment for the dinner on a credit card. What did I have to do? I had to sign my name. I'm agreeing that they can take that money from me by signing my name. Well, circumcision for the Jew or baptism for the Christian is a means of our declaring that we accept the covenant of God and will walk in obedience to that covenant. It is our way of signing our name on that dotted line by committing ourselves to say, yes, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk in his way and believe what he has said. We accept the responsibility of being God's people in the midst of a lost world, keeping his commandments as a covenant people of God so that the world around us might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. When Christians enter the water of baptism... They make a declaration that they have become Christians. That is, Christ followers, Christ bearers in their life. Through baptism, they sign that they have died to their old life, that they have given up their past, and that they have become the new creation, that God is working in them. They've entered into a new and glorious relationship with the creator of the universe and with his Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul defines it this way in verse 26. He says, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You see, it's the acts of obedience, living for the glory of God as a shining light of righteousness in the midst of a dark world that gives meaning to the sacrament, whether circumcision for the Jew or baptism for the Christian. We become a light on a hill, a lamp set on a stand to give that light, a spotlight on the greatest actor of history, Jesus Christ. Paul defines it this way when he says that we, that our uncircumcision is regarded as circumcision as we live out the life of Christ in the midst of the community, signing our name through the act of baptism and saying, yes, I am no longer Chris Gardner. I am now Christopher. That's Christ-bearer. I am 
the bearer of Christ in the midst of this world. But notice that God also sees the sacrament as not sufficient. You see, the the, the sacrament is not sufficient in and of itself. The sacramental ordinances that God has commanded, circumcision under the Old Testament, baptism under under the New Covenant, while they have tremendous value, they are not sufficient without faith. Without a heart that says yes to God. Think of it this way. Think about a wedding. There are those who claim that a wedding is not necessary. If we love one another, why do we need that piece of paper? Why do we have to bother with that? A wedding doesn't make a person love another person, does it? And of course we have to say no, it doesn't. But what a wedding does is it seals that commitment. The couple says their vows together with those very powerful ending words, until death do us part. And then they give the ring. And by doing so, they are sealing a covenant relationship with one another. The person who says that a wedding is not necessary is really saying this. I don't want to make that kind of commitment to you. A commitment that makes me, by law and before God, have to remain bound to you for the rest of my life. I love you now, but I can't guarantee I'm going to love you in the future. I want the advantages of a wedding without the commitments of the wedding. If I tire of you, I can walk away from you without any ramifications, without the hassle of a divorce, without the responsibility of alimony, I can walk away from you. At the act of the wedding, the giving of the ring does not guarantee fidelity. I married a couple, and those of you who have been uh, married by me know that you're required to go through uh, quite a bit of premarital counseling. There's responsibilities that you have to do. There's homework. You have to go through all of that. And, and this couple went through all that homework, and they, they said all the right things, and they completed the course, and they had a beautiful wedding ceremony. And it wasn't long after that that I discovered that the man was seeing another woman all the way through all of that. If the heart is not a heart of faith, the outward signs and symbols have no meaning. Which brings us to the third point in our text. That is the blessings of orientation. You see, the value of the sacramental ordinances lies in the heart orientation, the heart of faith. The question becomes then, who has our heart? Who owns us? Who have you come to love and trust? Are you still in love with yourself? Or have you fallen in love with Christ? Are you trusting in your abilities? Or have you come to trust in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope? That's why Paul wrote in verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision outward and physical. What do you mean, Paul? Of course circumcision is outward and physical. But the outward signs and symbols, they only have value and meaning with a heart that is rightly aligned with God. So notice that God sees the sacrament when it's only by the power of the Spirit. I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, covering this today because we will talk a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit when we reach chapter 8, which will be a ways away yet. In uh, should be in August that we'll be uh, covering uh, chapter 8. But Paul gives us a taste of this in verse 29 when he says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Only the Holy Spirit can awaken faith within us. Only the Holy Spirit can cause our hearts to do what Julius has been talking about for the last two weeks in Sunday school, bring us to repentance. As we read earlier in this chapter, the human heart is hard and impenitent. When we were back in chapter 1, it told us that the human heart suppresses the truth of God. Only the divine Spirit of God can crack that hard heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can transplant into us a heart that desires to love God, to obey Him, and to keep His commands. That's why a person who has come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when in reading the New Testament or hearing the preaching of the Word of God, will come to the conviction that they must be baptized because they will see it as they read the Word of God. If their heart is right with God, they will come to see that this is a necessity for our walk with God as we commit ourselves Signing on that dotted line and saying, yes, I am completely yours, now and forever. No one has to force a new heart for their love for Jesus Christ brings it about. It brings them to the altar of baptism to declare their love for him for eternity. But notice that God also sees the sacrament only through sonship. For God the Father sees the heart of the disciple, the disciple who has come to hate their past, and they have fallen in love with Jesus Christ. And so the Father adopts us freely and eternally into his family. And that's the meaning of the final line in verse 29. His praise is not from man, but from God. You see, it's not the outward thing that people go, oh, wow, that was a great baptism service. Oh, the testimony they gave was was great. Those are wonderful. It's nice. But it doesn't guarantee anything. The only thing that guarantees whether we have eternal life is whether our Father in heaven is pleased. And that depends upon our heart. Has he accepted us as his son? Have we been adopted into his family? Do we belong to him? The Holy Spirit needs to work in our heart. 
giving us a love for Jesus Christ so that we step out in obedience in that sacrament of baptism as God places His seal on us like a wedding band onto a finger as a symbol of our love for Him because He first loved us. And so, of course, at the end of a sermon like that, what is going to be my question? Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch, as Philip was sharing the good news of the gospel with him, as he's riding along in his chariot on the way back to Ethiopia, his question after hearing the gospel was not, oh, uh, can you send somebody down to, to help me grow more or anything else? What was his question? What hinders me from being baptized? And when Cornelius the Gentile, the Roman centurion, when he and his family heard the gospel, and we saw the, the power of the Holy Spirit setting them free, Peter's response to that was, how can we not baptize them now? You see, that's the heart. Have you been baptized? If not, what is holding you back? What is preventing you from this act of commitment? Or are you like the runaway bride who every time you get close to that wedding would turn around and run away? Not willing to make that commitment to Christ. But the other side of that question then is, is your baptism true or is it false? Is your baptism true or is it false? Was it an outward thing that was done without the heart being right with God? Having committed yourself to Him. If so, then it's empty. It's meaningless. It's as meaningless as, don't take this wrong, those of you who have been baptized, they go over to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan River. You can't get baptized twice. You can get wet, you can get dunked, but you're not being baptized. Baptism is a one-time event, just like justification is a one-time event. Being made right in the eyes of God only happens once not twice. We can rededicate our lives. We can rededicate our, our marriage vows. But we're only married once. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts today. For those who are believers today, let them rejoice. Let them rejoice in their baptism. Grasping the, the, the power of the of what that means for us. It has value, powerful value for us. We can fight the enemy as we say, yes, God has sealed me in Him and I am His. For those who can't say that, move in their hearts today that faith might be awakened, truth of the gospel might penetrate, and they may fall in love with Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.